Hey, welcome back, Warrior Next Door listeners. If you enjoyed episode one of the March of Warner series, then you're going to be in for a treat for episode two because it unpacks in a lot more detail what the experiences were like for the average citizens in Germany as the Nazi party took more and more control over quite literally every element of their lives. So we're going to start off with this first clip and actually a series of clips of Marta going into much more detail about the sort of things she experienced um, basically until the war came to her in Frankfurt in 1944. So sit back and put on your thinking caps and uh, contemplate a little bit about what you're listening to as she describes uh, what happened to her as a young girl. We had a girl in our class who got a beating from her father while she was wearing the uniform. She reported him and he wound up in a concentration camp because, not because he hit his child. She was wearing the uniform and at that point it was against the state. His movement was against the state. So before before anybody knew it, you know, you couldn't you couldn't even look over your shoulder. Uh, next door to us, two houses down, was was a family. Their name was Geisler. And the man made couches at home. He made couches. For, he, okay. He handmade couches for people. Okay. Okay. They would order and he would make. Okay. And he was a nice guy. And his daughter, the Kustel, had had polio when she was a girl. And one of the, one of her legs did not grow with the other one. You know, she had polio. So he was a real nice guy. And I'd come out, good morning, Herr Geisler, you know, da-da-da. And one morning I came out, and he looked at me, and he said, it's Heil Hitler. Hmm. No more good morgen. So, that was one of the things that I... I remember very clearly how distinct that was. Um, and it was not that he was politically involved in any way, shape, or form. He had his business. And if he wanted his business to succeed, if he wanted to eat, then he better teach the kid next door how to say hi, Hitler. Whether you believe it or not makes no difference. To to understand some of this, this is where it all goes to, is survival in the first place. The farmers did the same thing. If they wanted to get the, the seed, they'd have to go to the store. And they couldn't say, hi, how are we doing this morning? It had to be Heil Hitler. And if the farmer didn't say he's Heil Hitler, he didn't get the seed. 
So it is not as easy to understand for, for the American society because it was all so small to start. It was just this little step at a time. And unfortunately, what I see nowadays is an exact rerun. I'm sorry to say, but that's what I see is a rerun and I'm scared. I really am. And people who were old enough to understand could do one of two things. Keep the mouth shut or get killed. Yeah. There was no choice in the matter. And this is something that they don't understand out there. There was no choice, none. Radios, what you can listen to on the radio was pre-programmed by the government. So you couldn't get the news from Great Britain. You couldn't get the news from France. Okay? So that is a total different concept even. That's even worse than what the Russians are doing. So now we're in high school. Mind you, I'm 10 years old. I have to go by streetcar and by bus into the center of town as a 10-year-old little kid. American <laughs> Americans, I think, nowadays have no concept of sending their kid by public transportation from point A to point B. Yes. Took about an hour and a half to get to school. I had to be in school at 7 because from 7 to 8 we were standing in the storage schoolyard with our right arm up and the hands out with a high DMC gequenskanchet, excuse the language. Okay, and listening out to all the latest news and how good Germans were, how good the soldiers were, how wonderful we were winning, winning what? Okay, so here we are all in order like we're supposed to be by classroom, you know, like little soldiers <laughs> yeah. all standing around this stupid flag. <laughs> I mean, we're... I'm sorry, I'm laughing, but thinking back how ridiculous it all appears to the adult mind. Mm -hmm. Okay, however, we were trained, we were little kids, and we were trained at that point, and we did as we were told. I'll just say this: I mean, there's a yeah. lot in oh all of that, but I'm glad. I'm glad we. Uh, stitched all this together like this because um, this was the at the point in the interview where my mouth was open all the time because yep. you know the things that she was saying and and I'm sitting here thinking to myself oh my gosh uh, I can see stuff like that happening here uh, I, I think I see things like that happening here there are things that you know uh, that that really uh, make your heart beat a little bit faster when you hear her talking and and um, so, 
you know, and the fact that what she said, she's 10 years old. This is 1941 then yep. that she's talking about. And so she was saying that they'd go, she'd, they'd, they'd stand outside around the flagpole for an hour in the morning from seven to eight with their hands in the air, you know, their hand outstretched, listening to, you know, singing songs and listening to the news to how great things are going in the war. You know, well, at that point, the war was going fairly well for the Germans, you know. Uh, totally. You mentioned 10 years old. I got another quote here from a common source from uh, from Hitler about the Hitler youth. Quote, these boys and girls enter organizations with their 10 years of age. And often for the first time, they get a little fresh air. After four years of the young folk, so until they're 14, then they go on to the Hitler youth where we have them for another four years. And even if they are not complete national socialists, they go to labor service after that and are smoothed out for another six and seven months. And whatever class consciousness or social status might still be left, the Wehrmacht will take care of that. That's from Adolf Hitler. My goodness. So when she talked about being good little soldiers at the age of 10 and holding her arm up, there's a quote from Adolf Hitler about what the purpose behind this organization was. Well, that just sends chills down your spine, doesn't it? <laughs> when I read it, it did. I mean, it's, it's, you, it, it's like a template that mm. was so efficiently imprinted on their civilization that the people were made so small that they were just sucked up in a lot of them. Now, don't get me wrong. There were a lot of active Nazis that completely supported what Hitler was doing and, and killing Jews and, and all the things that the Nazi party did that made it this, this really terrible blotch on, or this stain really on, on the, the history of human civilization. But I would argue that there were probably far more people caught up in this than ones who were actively involved. Yeah, that's that's my opinion. And if we lose an audience because I say that, don't blame Ryan. I'm the one who said it. So, <laughs> so I'll be launching um, my new show after this episode. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So, no, so we, we, I agree with you, Tony. Yeah, I mean, the bottom line is people are people, and so many of us just caught up in stuff. You know, we don't that we're, there's a, there's just a handful of people that can create the conditions for either either wonderment. Like, you know, what our founding fathers were able to do with the United States to, to unleash this creativity and to, to develop a nation that um, was able to become prosperous very quickly. Or you can have a small group of people that just make everyone really small and they're never able to escape that. And a vast majority of people are brought up into that uh, in, in Germany. So we still have a few more clips about her pre-war years and a little bit about uh, the Hitler Youth, before we get into what happened in the war. So we'll go ahead and play the next one and see what you guys think. Under Adolf, at age 10, all children became militarized. For the boys, it was Jungfolk. And for the girls, it was Jungmädel. And at 14, Betty M. So at 10, young male. For boys, at 10, pimp. And for girls, at 14, Betty M. Punto Jemichin. And for boys, at 14, young folk. So 
all children, regardless of gender, were trained at starting at age 10. And this is really very, very important because on TV, you always see boys. You see young folk. The girls, too. And at 18, they all went into Reichsarbeitsdienst, which was the workforce. So from age 10, you were being governed 100% by the Reich. And from 18 was uh, in, the, in the workforce, and from then on into the military, you know. And for the girls, and this is very important, they were to become mothers. If you remember right, you may have heard it before, that there were the girls that had babies. And that was part of the training. The idea was, you are female, you are made to have babies, and he would select the men that would father those children that had nothing to do with love. Mm. It had to do with reproduction. Mm -hmm. There are two different things here. And that, again, I think for an American that is pretty difficult to even conceive. Yes. Okay? But that's the way it worked. So when you're 18 years old, female, you probably had a choice. You could either spread your legs <laughs> or, or, or you become military. You know, there, is, there were the two things you could do. And I remember girls writing to Mama how wonderful it was to become a mother for Adolf because the training was there. And this is something that you have to remember. It started at age 10. It didn't start late. It started early when that mind was pretty ripe, ready to learn, and he trained it. But at age 10, then, you became a member of the organization because then you couldn't be at home anymore with mom and dad. You had to go to the meetings and you were being indoctrinated at the meetings. Okay, so that's something that I think I didn't emphasize enough. Becoming, becoming a Hitler youth was 100% indoctrination and training, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So that was one of the questions I had is why 10? We just heard Marta say in previous clips that at 10 years old, it was kind of like the Harry Potter sorting hat thing <laughs> where you, discern, <laughs> you determine which house you're going to go to, Slytherin, whatever. At 10 years old, I mean, really what she's saying is there were certain people who were going to go uh, to, to high school, advanced education for back then. That was her because of her IQ. Some people go in the military and some of them, as she said, to spread their legs. I mean, we're mm-hmm. talking about... We're talking about state control at the reproductive scale. Ryan, could you share with our audience a little bit more about some of these programs that the Nazi regime did? 
Well, I mean, uh, I remember seeing a, a documentary on this years ago on the History Channel, and um, I don't remember a lot of the the solid details on it, um, but but it was just that. I mean, uh, essentially, what they would do is they would go through the the process of determining which women were um, of the right stock, and that would mean uh, you know the pure German Aryan um, you know uh, makeup. Uh, so to speak, by looking at their family histories, by looking at, you know, where they were from, um, making sure that there was no Jewish blood in their family. Mm-hmm. And um, the, those women were uh, set aside for this program where they would choose the same identical sort of background person that they considered to be, um, you know, the uh, quintessential Aryan or German um, and there's even, I remember seeing some like, you know, documentary, like, uh, your propaganda films that they were putting out, I think probably to show to the people in these programs of what, you know, a cartoon version of what this person would look like, you know, strong jaw, really yeah. stern looking, tall, big, essentially the guy looked like a, a Viking, you know, right. I mean, and which was not Aryan, <laughs> it was Norse, you know, they had right. that sort of, you know, they wanted a blonde, blue eyed sort of yep. people and um, they would put these people together and they'd have conjugal visits where they would, uh, you know, make babies and uh, it wasn't. It wasn't through in vitro. <laughs> nope, that did not. <laughs> it exist. was the good old fashioned way, and um, that was the the role of 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 this segment of the population. And uh, your role as a woman uh, in, in this program, you know. And I think they in this documentary I watched, they they actually went and caught up with people who were the 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 that were born, the babies that were born yeah. in this program. And they talk to them about this and they and they they describe how, you know, empty of a feeling it is, you know, to have been created in such a mechanical way yep. with really no idea who your mother or your father were. And now that whole ideal itself is gone. So at what point uh do you have meaning in your life at times when you realize you you your life was created yeah. on what's now looking back was a big lie. It was. And in the 20s and 30s, with the acceptance of Darwinian and evolutionary uh, thought, biometrics became a big thing where the people would measure how far your eyes were separated, how long your nose was, and the aspect ratio of your head to determine racial purity, Uh, like the Aryan, like you were saying. And, And it is ironic that they saw the Norwegians as being racially pure, and they weren't the Aryans. The Aryans no. <laughs> came from the Caucasus Mountains to the east into Russia, which were the people that they thought were the Umbermitch, the 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 you know the less than the, the subhumans. The, the subhumans, it, that's right. The whole thing was just sick and twisted. And the other thing I heard about the kids from these programs is not only do they feel kind of empty inside because their birth was like a petri dish, um, yeah. but they were resented because the people who knew that they were part of that program, they're like, oh. So, you know, you're, you're some sort of special being because you were carefully selected to be exactly who you are. So, you know, you must be smarter than me and faster than me and stronger than me. And I, I remember reading that, that a lot of these people suffered terribly uh, later in life because they were resented for being, quote unquote, part of these um, superhuman Aryan baby farms. Mm-hmm. I mean... Holy crap, dude. Well, well, what was interesting to me was whenever I watched this this documentary, um, and I, I'm sorry, I can't remember the name of it, but when they interviewed some of these people that were the product of this program, 
a few of the people weren't very impressive looking people, you know, um, and it, it makes me wonder, I mean, did they not realize that just because you put a good looking woman and a good looking guy together doesn't mean they're going to make a good looking baby. You no. know? It does not happen. We've all, we all have seen examples of this, right? I, I hear you. My parents are good looking people and I sure as hell didn't hear that. So I'm, I'm living proof, dude. So, I mean, the, the person I saw in this documentary was like a, a short guy. He was kind of, you know, rotund and, and he was right. not what you thought they were going for, you know? Yep. The six foot four guy that's, you know, 210 pounds and he's all muscle and he's got a strong jaw and chiseled face. That right. was not. And, and it makes you wonder if 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 they had won the war and that program continued, how many of those babies might have been offed because they weren't fitting with what they thought they were getting? Well, and you know, know what? Let's add to that before we do, do move to the next clips. The, the with this racial purity thing, it wasn't just breeding people that were Aryan. It was also eliminating people who weren't, and you know, not just the yeah. the the Jews, but there were gypsies. There were a yes. lot of um, babies who were born. Yeah, there were babies that were born with birth defects that were euthanized by the thousands. Well, that's uh, what I was wondering if she was going to... I thought that's what she was going to get at when she mentioned her neighbor who had the daughter that had polio with one leg that wasn't fully developed. I thought that she was going to say that he was... that her daughter, his daughter was sent away or was 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 killed, you know, was exterminated. But whether or not that happened, I don't know. She didn't say. But, you know, uh, that's what I kind of thought where she was going to head with that. But it, def- it definitely happened. And maybe... If that girl was born in 1938, uh, she may have been sent off to be euthanized. That's just speculation, but we, yeah, that sure. it's yeah. not speculation that that happened. It's just speculation what would have happened to her. But those sort of defects were not only, <laughs> it, it's, it's terrible to think about. And what I think is so amazing about human beings is you have a baby that you've never met. It's been in, in, in the womb for nine months and it comes out. And human beings will fall in love with those kids that they don't really, quote unquote, know, regardless of their defects. You and I both have friends who have kids who have moderate to severe birth defects, and they love them to death. And so this whole idea of racial purity goes against actually human nature. It's actually an unpure thing, quite frankly. So. Ooh, man, I don't know, man. This is some heavy That's shit. Heavy. So we've got a couple more <laughs> clips of of uh, her time uh, when she's around age 10, and then we're going to get into what happened when the war started. But let's play these next two clips, Ryan. Were there uniforms? Did you guys go on retreats? I mean, what sort of activities were they trying to do to kind of inculcate the youth into the idea of the Nazi party? Okay, to start with, yes, there were uniforms. Okay. Okay. Yes, you had, I can't remember how many meetings there were mm-hmm. per week, mm-hmm. uh, you know, two, three hours at a time. Wow. Yes. Okay. We would sing specific songs. Um, Siehst du im Osten das Morgenrot? Ein Zeichen zur Freiheit zur Sonne. Do you see the morning red in the east? It's a sign to freedom. Hmm. We hold together whether life or death may come whatever they may. Mal kommen, was immer da wolle. Stop with not believing 
and with the waiting. The time is now. Hm. Hört auf mit dem Harren, hm. hört auf mit dem Harren, noch fliegt. We still have German blood in our veins. Noch fließt uns deutsches Blut in den Aden. Volk ans Gewehr, Volk onto the arms. Volk on take the arms. Okay, songs like that. We kept singing. And we were knitting stockings, socks, and gloves, mittens for the soldiers and scarves. As girls, I don't know the boys, mm. and and they taught us how to shoot. Really? Yeah, of course. Huh. I, I mean, that's part of growing up. Know how to shoot, how to handle a gun. Right. You know. Well, I I agree, and, but and I mean, I, I was surprised um, that at that period of history, when there was such a separation between what the female and the male's role was. That at that time, you're saying that the females were also taught the martial arts, how to shoot a gun. Yeah. Oh, I did not know that. I didn't know that. I thought that the female part of the Hint to Hitler youth, and believe me, I'm no expert on this. That's why we're here. I want to understand this better. Had more to do with um, with homemaking and reproduction. But there was also the, that element, too, the military element. And preservation, self-preservation. I did not know that. And self-preservation means you've got to be able to fight. I agree. I didn't okay. know that. So that was part of it. Yes. Wow. I mean, first off, the song, The Sun uh, in the East, is reference to Liebenstrom, which is the German word for living space, which was to the East, which was Poland, which was Russia, which is what Hitler was fixated on. And ultimately tens of millions of people died in that. I mean, did that song not kind of send some kind of chills down your spine? Oh, oh yeah. I was sitting here. <laughs> I don't know if you saw me on the screen, but I was just like, I mean, it's, it's a time, it's time travel, you know, uh, to hear her sing it in her German inflection, you know, uh, and then to translate the words, you know, for us like that, um, to hear what the words are saying. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it sends uh, shivers down your spine, you know, to hear that. It was incredible. And then training everyone in the martial arts for self-preservation, you know, um, females as well. And b believe me, in, in the year of our Lord, 2022, you know, Ryan and I both um, don't have an issue with the shooting sports at all. And um, we certainly don't have an issue with everyone, including women, to learn how to use a firearm if they choose to do so. But this is 1940. And things were a little bit different then when it came to the role that a woman played and a man played. And I was really, I still am a little surprised that, you know, the Nazis uh, at that time were, you know, training women the martial arts as well. The sad thing is in about four or five years, they were going to need it. Yeah. <laughs> because, True. you know, winter was coming um, up until now. And even this next clip, this last clip uh, about what she experienced prior to the war, uh, things were kind of okay in terms of not being invaded by huge forces from the outside world, but that's about to change. So if you don't mind, Ryan, let's play the, the last clip uh, prior to the experiences of the war, and then we'll start getting into when the crap hit the fan. Because okay. none of this was quote-unquote political. All of this was part of the growing up deal. Gotcha. And 
my I was reading at home. And my father told me, no matter what, you keep your mouth shut. That is the number one thing to survive. You keep your mouth shut. And I did. It went in here, it went out there. And I survived. Well, thank you. <laughs> she sure did. I love she her. <laughs> so do I. She is awesome. And that's the last clip we have on all of the things that happened within Nazi Germany, which is which is absolutely mind-blowing and, and so foreign to a lot of people today until you start to look at what's going on around the world right now and the events that have transpired recently in Eastern Europe and the saber-rattling in China and Taiwan and other areas, and you start to realize that, you know, and you look at North Korea, right? There's still people living under regimes like this. Um, and, of course, the, the people in places like China and Russia, they think we're living under a regime where we're brainwashed by our own history. So this is really deeply complex, but I will say this. As, as hard as it can be sometimes to uh, to detach yourself and be completely objective about you know, determining, you know, whose history is more correct. I think what we can safely say is the one that she lived under, under the Nazis, uh, made their people small, dictated their lives for them, took away personal choice, uh, which is amoral because you can't make the right choice unless you have a choice to make and caused people within um, the country to turn on themselves. That to me objectively doesn't sound like the right path to go down. Uh, didn't we tell you episode two would be amazing? And it was. Uh, I'm sure we've all heard through various historical accounts, or maybe some people haven't heard what sort of things occurred in Nazi Germany prior to the war and in the early stages of the war. But to have someone like Marta describe these things, her firsthand personal accounts is so powerful, in our opinion, more powerful than anything you can read in a book or, or see in a movie. So this concludes episode two. In episode three, we're going to shift to the war. Uh, we're going to shift to the war coming to Marta and her family and how it affected them. And what amazes me about her story as we recorded it is it just kind of felt like just about the time you thought it couldn't get worse, it did. And it does. So please join us for episode three next week. Until then. I think the thing that Ryan and I enjoy the most about this podcast is the camaraderie we feel with like-minded individuals who really appreciate these first-person oral histories. So when you go to our Facebook page, and at some point, my gosh, I got to finish and get our, our web page built. Um, I'm working on it, okay? But at any rate, if you go to our Facebook page, there's a place where you can leave comments. And we take those comments seriously and answer every single one. If we haven't, uh, send us a comment back calling us a bunch of explicatives because we really do care about that. And we got one recently from Daniel Winterberg that, 
you know, kind of speaks to, you know, one of the reasons why we enjoy doing this and, and connecting with people. So he wrote, quote, I have enjoyed this podcast very much, especially the interview with Bill Parker on Omaha Beach, which is a series that we just uh, finished recently, uh, by the way. And not only do we have the podcast on Omaha Beach, but also, um, well, quite well, we, we, we hung out with Bill as he visited uh, the Invasion Beach in Normandy uh, in June during the 78th anniversary of D-Day. So, uh, I digress a little bit from what Daniel wrote, but for those who haven't heard the Bill Parker series, there's two of them. One is his experience in the war, and the other one are his experiences last June as he went back to the invasion beaches. But anyway, back to Daniel's uh, comments. Uh, he writes again, I really like the asides you insert to the stories, filling in additional information. You talked about the role the engineers and tanks played in the invasion. My father, who passed away in 1996, served in the 743rd Tank Battalion, which was attached to the 29th Infantry on Omaha Beach. That's the division that Bill Parker was a part of. I go back to what Daniel wrote. I have just self-published a photo book telling the story of his World War II experience for my family. The first volume is from his being drafted until June 9th, 1944. I was wondering if you would be interested in viewing the book and I can share it through Google Slides to you. I wish my father could have talked to you for the Warrior Next Door podcast. Well, Daniel, we wish he could have as well. But if we can't have that, then it's awesome to have um, someone like you, his son, carry on his memories and his legacy with his photo book that he has shared with us. And it is pretty amazing. Um, I don't, we don't have permission to put it on our Facebook page because we don't know what Daniel's going to do with this photo book, but he shared it with us and it's great. And we love hearing stories like this. So if you have any stories, if you have um, a relative or a friend who maybe experienced some of the things that we share in our podcast, feel free to jump on Facebook and at some point our webpage and share them with us so we can share them with others. Uh, thanks for listening.